Hello and welcome to the Two Who Recruit. Enjoy the episode. Here we are, episode four already. Um, so today's a pretty um, special episode for me and Sheen. Um, we interviewed ourselves at the start of the podcast. Um, and and now we've got the chance to interview our CEO, which is incredibly exciting. We can't wait. So I'm just going to do a little bit of an intro into who Dave is. Um, so Dave Haler, he is our CEO. Um, Dave is, is actually originally, I think that he's actually ex-army. He was a platoon commander, um, went to Sandhurst training, et cetera. Um, he then left the army and the first sort of six years of his recruitment career in Michael Page, in Vestigo. And then he decided to set up IHC in 2011. Oh my goodness, 11 years ago, mental. Um, set up IHC and, and, and of course, past 11 years has been, has been running our company. He is also a husband. He's a father of two really cool kids. And I'm going to give him a shout out to um, Luffy and Henry. They are just awesome. Um, hello. Um, but he also does triathlons. Um, he gets involved in loads of charity events. Any impossible task, Dave will do it. Um, but last but not least, he is our plant man. So he does water our plants. But, um, but no, I mean, what can this man not do? That, that's all I have to say about this. And I have actually witnessed him in a PT session. He is just in- incredible, like what he can do, the amount of press-ups that man can do is insane. Um, but he's also just a brilliant, brilliant CEO. And we love him and we love working for him. And so it's time to bring him in. Welcome, Dave. I really hope I did that justice. Well, I'm not sure I can live up to that introduction, Jules. Um, uh, can I, can you, I just make sure you send this to my wife, just to remind her. That we will. And hey, Mr. Healer. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, Welcome. we're really, really, really happy to have you. First question, though. Um, we just talked about what we're planning for the year. What are your plans for 2023? What have you got coming up? Oh. I don't know. It'll be another incredibly busy year, no doubt, with all the exciting growth plans we've got in the business. Hopefully, as you mentioned earlier, some more triathlons waiting for, for spring to start. I don't, I've only done one and I'm already addicted. Okay. Uh, and exciting to see what the kids do. The kids are getting to an age now where they're doing lots of fun stuff at school. I think my daughter's actually off to New York uh, in February for very exciting. Um, she wants to be in uh, musical theatre. So she's getting to go to New York, to Broadway, to spend a bit of time doing some workshops there. So that's really exciting. So I shall live vicariously through that. Um, well, it's just yeah, a fun, exciting year. Oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, I was going to say, I've just felt so old because Jules, do you remember when we had the barbecue in our first year at Dave's and how small were the kids there? And all of a sudden, she's going to New York next year. It's crazy. Bring us alone. I actually, I was jumping on a bouncy castle um, with with both of them, which I'm pretty sure now they they both wouldn't do. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, brilliant. Well, let's get into this. And I, what I will just say first of all to the audience who are listening, um, so Dave doesn't necessarily know the questions that we're about, about to. Ask. Um, he's aware of the topics, etc., but he doesn't know the questions. So all of these questions, he's going to be answering 
on the spot. And so let's just give them a bit of a, a mini round of applause to even start, because that's a really, really scary thing to, to sort of um, to do. So we're going to start this off kind of how we started off our podcast, Dave. Um, mm. I want to take like Dave Haler as a little boy, as a child. Um, let's give us a bit of context. So what's your upbringing, your background? Who are you? Well, that could go on for a while, couldn't it? Um, so I think where I start from this is probably not where people expect. So there are certain assumptions made because of what I do, probably how I look and sound as well. Most people assume I'm privately educated, which I'm not. Um, my life actually started in a very small flat above a shop in a not very nice part of town underneath a multi-story car park, um, which meant I started from fairly, fairly humble beginnings. Obviously, I don't really remember that as I was a baby, but first house I do remember was very cold, single pane windows and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I won't go on, but not quite the upbringing people would expect. Um, I was very lucky to be born with a, a degree of intelligence that enabled me to do well at school. Um, and that uh, helped me to go on to grammar school, which kind of opened my eyes to all those opportunities that my earlier years maybe hadn't introduced me to. Um, I was lucky to have a very stable family. Um, and I had some aunts and uncles who'd been to uni, but my parents hadn't. So my life was pretty narrowly focused and I wasn't really aware of what was out there. But as soon as I went into the grammar school, um, then yeah, the world opened up to me. That's probably a good little summary, but if you've got any other questions, let me know. Um, hard to summarize all those years in one brief period yeah, of time. Well, that's actually really interesting because talk, for a lot of people who don't know this, but um, our plan is to go into disadvantaged schools and to really help kids who've come from a more disadvantaged background. And we're trying to think of all sorts of, well, do all sorts of initiatives to give back to our community. It's always been a big focus, of course, to, to IAC and to our business. Um, has that and your own upbringing been pivotal? What do you say? Yes. I think it's something I find quite odd, and maybe in myself and in others. The friends of mine that I now have who come from very wealthy backgrounds, many of them are very kind, but they don't necessarily feel a uh, excessive inclination to give to others. Um, whereas I almost, I think there's a slight degree of guilt given where I now am and where I started. Uh, I don't think that's in any way rational. I've no, I've worked hard. I haven't taken anything from anyone that I didn't earn. Um, so there shouldn't be, but I think there is, and I think it's pretty common that when you come from a background and you had friends who were, who were worse off than I was, um, friends who were living on nothing. I always, always remember something. I was very young, but I remember feeling guilty that coming home from a friend's house from a sort of play date when I was I don't know, less, than, less than 10. Um, and his mum was almost in tears at having to uh, pay for me to get the bus ride home because she assumed I would have the money and I would just assume that she would as I was such a young child. And little things like that stick with you. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is important that when we are successful and as a recruitment firm who are doing well, we are successful, that we just do as much as we can to you know contribute whatever small amount we can to help others to progress their lives. That's, that's really quite interesting because I think something that I just picked up straight away is do you have two different sets of friends? You mentioned obviously now you have a, a wealthy set of friends. You, you obviously grew up in a very different environment. Would you say you're also in touch with friends from the past who you still, who understand who, where you still came from? 
Hmm. No, and I don't know whether that says something about me or just the situation. I think the friends I started with were the primary school, um, so a similar background to where I was at. Um, most of them didn't go on to the grammar school. So given that was still quite a young age, I think naturally you just sort of drift away and you stick with the friends who you're with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and most of my friends in the grammar school setting came from quite different backgrounds. A lot of them started at private schools and then transferred to the, to the grammar school system. Um, so I, I don't think it was deliberate, but I just think, you know, the reality was I sort of drifted away from those people I would have known sort of in the yeah. early years. So yes, yeah. in answer to your question, she, not many people know where I came from and that's quite a surprise to people usually. Yeah, no, that is really interesting. Jules, do you have anything to add to that before, before we carry on in quiz D? No, but I, I do really resonate. Um, I think, you know, I, I went to a private school, um, but actually I always say that I'm really fortunate that I, all my friends from home didn't go to a private school and my teachers were state school teachers, which meant that I, I'm really lucky that I wasn't in this bubble, bubble of, of private school, which I think actually some people can be in. Um, and actually I, I, I witnessed both sides and that was actually, I think, really, really helpful for my own outlook on you know people from different backgrounds you've got to give people from different backgrounds a, ch- a chance you can't you can't just sort of um go down the route that you've come from so um and that's a really interesting concept yeah absolutely really interesting um you mentioned dave about obviously your background we we know that but our audience might not and we touched upon you coming from an army background how would you say being in the army has shaped your career or helped you with your career so far is there anything you can absolutely pinpoint you think yes i learned that from the army and i can take that to my mm. leadership or my well, enough i was i was doing a preparing a presentation on this earlier um and in some ways it feels strange talking about it because it was only four years of my life uh, which now i'm getting to an age um but that was quite <laughs> a long time like um but it, it's very hard to explain to people who haven't done it that it is four years in which you put at least 10, 15 years worth of life experience. It's an extremely intense period. So yes, absolutely. There are probably a huge number of lessons that, uh, and experiences that, that I still use to, to this day. Um, but the most obvious ones, I think, are um, a sense of perspective. So when you've dealt with certain problems that are at the extreme end of anything people could ever sort of think about, um, the age of 22, I was leading people up and down the most dangerous road in the world in, in Iraq, in Baghdad. Um, and that gives you a different perspective on what problem means. Um, and therefore, although I will still react to a difficult situation and a problem, it won't give me any kind of existential crisis. I, I will still sleep well at night and I'll still get on with things the next day because it's not really the end of the world. Um, no one's going to die. So it's all recoverable. Um, so that definitely helps. I think the army absolutely cemented my work ethic. I think I touched on earlier, I was, I was lucky enough to, to have sort of a high academic IQ. So school was always relatively easy for me. And it was only once I was in the army that I realized that I didn't actually know what, you know, concept of hard work really meant. So by the time I finished in the army, I definitely knew what hard work was. And that, that has definitely stuck with me and the value of, and, and what that brings to you, um, you know, daily discipline the health benefits of constant exercise, you know, so many things, but it was extremely formative and I'm, I'm very grateful for that experience. I'm, I'm going to put words into your mouth here. 
though. Sorry if I do, but I just know this about you and we've, we've talked about this in our own leadership sessions. But the mm. serve lead concept that you've always believed is very, very important, of course, yeah. I think comes from the army. Am I correct in yes. saying that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So serve, serve to lead is the uh, motto at Santos, serve to lead. I hope I've got that right. Um, I was listening. We'll just Google that and we'll get loads of insults. No, I'm sure we serve to lead the motto at Santos. Um, and the whole point is, is that many, many people over many centuries and continue to this day see leadership almost as a, as a reward or a right or something that's for them. Um, what the military are very well aware of um, is that that, will lead to failure. You know, anyone in a leadership position, however junior or however senior, needs to be there to serve others. You are there to be the benefit of others, to help them maximize who they are, to achieve their goals, to protect them when they're having difficult times. Um, and I think that sat naturally with, with how I look at the world, but it certainly really drummed it home to me as to just how important that is. Um, and you're right, Jules, it's one of the things that's really stuck with me. And one of the reasons why I moved on to set up my own company, because I really didn't see that in the commercial world that, that I joined after the army. And I was, I was quite, you know, I was pretty disappointed. I wasn't just the norm. Um, definitely something I'm, I'm a big advocate for. It's just, I, w I wanted to sort of just dig into the leadership element there and what that meant. So you talked about protecting others, serving others. Would you say an element of leadership or does leadership mean self-sacrifice? What, what, what's your view on that? <laughs> so uh, on the face of it, yes. So, but, but ultimately no, because, and I'll come to that. So yes, because in order to serve others, you need to put their thoughts ahead of their, their, their thoughts, their concerns, their success ahead of your own. Mm -hmm. So. It will, I will go home far more concerned about how someone else has had a bad day or had a problem rather than my own context most of the time. Um, silly little things like you touched on earlier, me watering the plants. I don't do that for my own benefit. I do that because I believe that having a healthy, positive office environment is to everyone's benefit and having dead plants isn't. So I make sure that happens and it might be trivial. And it's another reason why I need to sort out an office manager at some point, but the little stuff matters because it makes everyone's life better. But the reason why I also say no is because ultimately it's in my interests. Because if as a leader, I serve others, it means that I have a team who are happy. They feel supported. They feel cared for. They're more inclined to grow and be successful. And ultimately that makes me happy and I benefit from that. So it's very hard for anyone to, to you know, point to a truly selfless act. We all act ultimately in our best interests. But if you take the long view, you realize that by helping others, ultimately that's in your best interest as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that answer. And I think you summed it up really well. And whilst we're on the topic of how, like plants for the office, can <laughs> we give away to everyone, Dave, that you actually calculated in our new office, how many plants you actually had to get to calculate and yeah, you know, uh, yes, I, I can be a little, but Hey, it's my job. I'm supposed to be able to see the big picture, but also have the grasp of the detail as well. So I did, I did Google how many plants did I need for the square footage we had to ensure there was the maximum positive level in the room. Yes. I'm a bit of a geek. I did do that. Yeah. I, I, I did not know that. Why did I not know that? <laughs> I don't even know how she knew that. She's also been checking my internet history. 
Great, by the way, as well. Yeah, and no, they're all really good points. I think um, it's you, you do get this again the preconception of what management means. And I've certainly had this preconception when I first became a manager. I was so in my head thinking, oh gosh, I need to be able to tell them this and tell people that and do this and do that. And actually, it's actually a bit easier than that. You're just thinking about the person sat in front of you. If you just think about the person sat in front of you and care about the person sat in front of you, you, you can't give too far from I might, I might preempt a, uh, a question you might ask me later, but I think mm. in my role, it is more complex than that because when you're managing, say, two or three people, I think generally speaking, you, you can just care for the person opposite you. And that care also requires some tough messages sometimes because in order to grow, we all need to hear the, the tough message as well as the kind one. Um, but at my level, the problem is when you've got X number of people, you tend to find that what's in the best interests of one might not actually knock on to the best interests of someone else. So sometimes you have to step back and go, well, what's in the best interests of the group? Because ultimately, if we keep the ship floating in the most positive way, in the best direction possible, that will help the most people. And sometimes that does mean there is a conflict in what's in the best interest for the individual, which is one of the things I found most difficult to get to grips with. Um, it's, it's a difficult transition because if you truly care about the individual, it can be difficult when you have to do things that aren't going to be perfect for everybody all of the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a very, very fair point. It all becomes a bit more complex, isn't it? Um, you've already slightly highlighted that a reason for setting up IAC. Um, I think a lot of people do really want to know what, why you fundamentally left you left these larger recruitment organizations, let's be honest here, left almost an element of safety because I've, I've gone from being at a large recruitment company to a much smaller one, but you were going from a large recruitment company to you, <laughs> you, you and Guy. Um, so talk us through that. Talk us through those decision-making process of setting up buyers. So... I heard someone else say this this morning, actually, uh, on another podcast. So I'll rip off their point completely because it, it actually made, it was really clear and made sense that those people who are of a certain mindset to set something up have a kind of instinctive feeling of it'll be okay. And I've always kind of had that feeling of it. it will, whatever happens, it'll be okay. Um, it's some form of confidence. Exactly what that means, I don't know. But there's probably a slightly lower fear threshold for me in most things. Um, so that certainly makes it easier. And I don't know where that comes from. Um, there's a degree of uh, stubbornness in that a lot of the time I, I do think I know best. It doesn't mean I think I know everything. I certainly don't. But I tend to think if I look at a situation and worked it out, I will know what's the right thing to do. And I worked in companies where I could see that going wrong all the time. And I found that extremely frustrating, um, especially when that's to do with values and standards and doing things in the morally right way. When I could see things going all around me, which were borderline legally wrong, let alone morally wrong, I had a very big problem with it. Um, and I just wasn't comfortable staying in that environment for the, for the long term. So that was a, those were big drivers for me. I also should shout out very much to Guy Stacey for his support. So as you know, Guy helped um, invest in and set up the business. Um, and to be completely honest, given Henry had just due, I think, I think Claire was probably six months pregnant when we started the business. There's no way, despite everything I've just said, that I would have started the business at that point in time, um, had Guy not been there to add that support as well. 
Um, so he definitely deserves credit for that. Um, but otherwise, you know, I just wanted to go and do something where I was responsible for, and I'm happy to fail my own decisions rather than, you know, just keep going under someone else's decisions, which aren't great, even if it is safe. Yeah, the values piece, I think, is so it just hits the nail on the head, right? Because we often help people get new jobs, and um, that's what we do. Um, we help people join new companies, and yeah. um, one of the, the best lessons I've learned in the past month through some um, lead a few a leadership course that we did internally um, with Ash Rai. Again, another shout out Ashley Rai's um, <laughs> was around people. People don't fundamentally take the values of an organization seriously seriously no. they, they think about it as part of their the decision making and um, mm. they think about money about the location about how nice the office looks mm. um, but they fundamentally forget to think about the values and mm -hmm. we all know that if your own values as a person as a human being are matched by your organization you are going to be happy because mm. I was saying to you, Dave, the other day, a company could come and offer me 50 grand more money. But actually, if the values weren't right, I actually, if our values started becoming wrong, and um, mm. values yeah. aren't right, I'm, I'm not going to move. I'm not even going to think about moving. I'm not even going to contemplate moving. I won't even look at that message. From yeah. that. And so I, I think a big tip anybody who's looking to just kind of keep and, and, and retain individuals and you get what we've talked about, is mm. just sure that your values, yeah. that you're, you're living and breathing them because yeah. person should in theory have joined your company based on their value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Would you like me to expand on that or was that just a very, yeah. a very good point you were making? Well, you can if you would like to. If there's anything in there that you're like, Jules, didn't I, I, I would, I would just be re-emphasizing re the point, Jules. It's fair. Well, good point, well made. Okay. <laughs> um, I think, well, just following on from earlier, you mentioned, you know, being comfortable. Actually, I'm just trying to, I, I didn't know you when you opened the business. Mm. But for me, I think what I really like about what you said earlier is you can stay where you are you know, like you said, there were things that you didn't agree with and that thing you've got, a, a, you know, you're not that scared of actually taking a bit of risk. But I think if you are not happy, you know, where you are, actually get out of that comfortable zone. I think, Dave, you often talk about that comfort pit, don't you? That's probably mm -hmm. one of your biggest bugbearers. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, so, you know, it's kind of things I look at, the things that ultimately interest me are, are people. And I look at why people are happy or unhappy, and I look at why teams work and why they don't. And there are definitely pretty, you know, consistent problems that you have there. One of them is people are wired for safety and security. And in a modern world, that doesn't do a lot of good for people's health because ultimately we are safe and secure. No one's shooting at us. There are no tigers trying to eat us. We've all pretty much got food. I do appreciate there are people in the country who that is genuinely a struggle for. But as a general rule of thumb across the country, we are in a safe place. But people's brain is, is still wired for safety. So what that means is they find something that is comfortable, i.e. they've got an income. Um, they're not, that doesn't look like they're about to get fired. 
just about covers, you know, what they need and they sit still because they're scared of anything else and it's comfortable to stay there, but it's somewhere where they're not respected. They're not valued either financially or as a person. They may have some kind of toxic culture where there's bullying or sexism, racism. They might have people being unfair to them, but they'd rather stay because that feels secure. So I think it's critical and it's a message that I would certainly campaign and I definitely will in the future to be in schools about understanding the psychology of being comfortable and how much in the modern world that will damage you. And that the only place in which you grow is to be challenged. And that's probably another thing I learned from the army, actually. I feel I conceptually always knew that, but the army really, you know, challenges you every minute of every day, all the time. And some moments you hate it, but after a period of time, you look back and go, oh my God, look at how much I learned. Look at how much I've grown. And wow, who is this person looking in the mirror? I'm, I'm not the man I was, but she's amazing. Um, and it really drums home how that growth just makes you feel better and more empowered and you can go on and do things. So. Yes, I do bang on about comfort zone and how we need to stay out of it because it's in everyone's best interests. Yeah, I love that. I completely agree. You know, you got you need to feel challenged, whether that's emotionally, physically. And I, and I think I'd never been in the army, but you would have felt all of that, and you can absolutely relate to that. You know, you that news. Oh my goodness, I'm having like flashbacks. You know, in the Spice Girls meeting when they um, go in the army, Mike. I've really got a, an image of you team in that scene where you're like stomping down and doing the obstacle with your nails and your hair and makeup. I've literally, it's flooding my brain. Didn't we have an idea as a team building exercise at some point to do Tough Mudder? Whoever's idea that was, I'm sorry. Well, so I keep saying I'm up for it, but no one in the team has, uh, has actually booked it yet. I think it's all, it's all talk, but I'm definitely up for it when someone wants to do it. I will call in sick that day. Yeah. Thank you for that. Oh, right. Next question. So, Dave, I would love to know, just talking about leadership, setting up the business, I would love to know what challenges, you know, or what would you say the biggest challenge would be that you faced since opening the business? Oh, be a lot. That's a big question. <laughs> uh, huh. So there are lots and someone sat in my seat, you know, 10 people would give 10 different answers. Um, but I think what resonates with me most is the realization and quite a painful realization, to be honest, that, um, a team never outgrows its leader, a business never outgrows its leader. And what that means is either the leader gets fired and they replace them, or the leader has to keep growing if the team's going to grow. And there have been moments of painful realization throughout the last 10 years of just, I'm not good enough at this. Damn, why not? What, what am I doing wrong? Um, and so I've had to go out and get mentors, coaches, networking events, learning events, read, shed loads of books, listen to loads of podcasts. And it's a constant part of my life to, to get better. And I think when I set the company up, I didn't realize just how much I would have to grow in order for the business to grow. So. I think that would have been the biggest challenge that I didn't see coming when I started. That's such a great answer. I love that. It's just so useful to even talk about it. I feel like I'm learning just from this. Yeah. I mean, you know, COVID is often given as, I'm sure lots of business owners will say that COVID was the most challenging situation in the past mm. 
10, yep. 15, 20, 25 years I've had at the business. And but I'm not going to ask you the negatives because I'm fed up talking about negatives from COVID. It drives me bonkers. So mm. instead, positive, positives that you, yeah. that you sort of realize. I completely understand where you're coming from, Jules, and I will absolutely answer the full premise of your question. But I think I at least need to start that with a caveat of, I do completely understand that a lot of people suffered, a lot of people died. And for a lot of people, they still have in no way recovered from what was a really, really traumatic period. And it's important I say and recognize that because I don't want people to think that I'm just focused on the positives. Although I agree with your premise of your question, there are always positives to be taken from any situation, but that doesn't discount the suffering of others. Um, so for me personally, um, I, and again, let's go back to the army thing again. I like a challenge. You know, my mentor, you know, she would laugh at me because it's when I, when I'm at my best, when everything goes pear shaped, that's when I get really excited. Well, okay, this is interesting. How do we do things? Um, and that's an entirely personal response. Uh, it's just how I'm wired, which is a bit weird. Um, and from a business point of view. And also from a home point of view, I think anything where your world gets turned upside down, if you're of the right mindset, is absolutely an opportunity to take a step back and go, mm, okay, so everything's just fallen apart. Well, then we get to put it back together again. So how? How would we like it put back together again in a way that worked better, where we can solve problems that we knew we had before? Um, and I think both home within the family and within the business, we had the opportunity to do that um, because it did turn the business on its head as it did the whole recruitment industry. Um, so that was probably the most positive outcome is that opportunity to go back and revisit things and think about them properly and put things back together in a way that, that was going to work brilliantly for the, for the next stage of our growth. I think that's happened as well. Um, certainly from an audit perspective, obviously, people who are listening, my market is internal audit. And from speaking to lots of heads of, heads of internal audit, it was almost the opportunity to really look at their audit plan and go, yeah. are we doing this in the most efficient way? And yeah. a lot of heads of audit have gone, no, we maybe weren't doing it in the most efficient way. And it gave them the opportunity to almost be, not reinvent the wheel, but um, to change up some things and, and make it more efficient. And that's what a lot of the a lot of these heads of department are saying and gave them the, the creativity in a way to just sometimes to start from the beginning a little bit, rip a yeah. piece of paper and go, okay, <laughs> yes, let's, let's, let's go again. Um, it does, it does require the mindset that the, the clouds will lift, the sun will shine again, the world will keep on turning. And unfortunately our cultural narrative at the moment is often not, it is often, oh, the world is ending and it's going to keep on ending every other day. That's never the case. The, you know, the sun will always rise again. The clouds are always clear. Um, equally, there will be another disaster at some point. And that's just part of human existence. So if you can take that somewhat philosophically and take the opportunities that always exist, it's, you know, it tends to be, I think, a, a, an easier existence. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think change is the only constant. And I think the more, the more people you know whoever's listening to this just gets their idea around that and just really getting comfortable with that change is okay you know, we, mm. we had to change our entire interview process during covid for all of our candidates that we're interviewing you know now they've got you know used to that and now we're hearing back the other way you know everyone's getting online fatigue 
You know, people mm-hmm. want to go back out and meet face to face. You know, so change always has to happen. And I think, again, that's a place where people just grow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And growth, I think growth is one of those basic human needs. You know, was it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I'm not sure if growth is in there because generally it's food and warmth and shelter, et cetera, first and foremost. But I think after that, growth is up there. I don't think yeah. very hard to find people who are happy being and doing precisely the same thing forever. Growth is what we all need in order to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to switch it up a little bit now. We're under oh, the fire round questions. <laughs> so we've got a range of fire round, quick fire round questions for you, Dave. So you're yep. going to have to answer as quick as you possibly can. So George sure. will shout out the first one and we'll keep going. Pizza or pasta? I'm joking. <laughs> pasta. I'm totally joking. That was not one of the thoughts. The things like <laughs> what we're doing. What are you doing? You're going off pizza. Love <laughs> We actually had this conversation the other day in the office, right? And everyone was getting into such a debate. If they had to lose one form of carb, what would it be? Dave, I completely knew yours was pasta because you were fully in that conversation. Immersed. Oh, absolutely. I, pizza <laughs> and pasta. I, I think there's Italian heritage in me somewhere. Um, I, I struggled to, I struggled with the idea of living with either of those foods, living without either of those foods, sorry. Um, but I think it would have to be pasta that I would keep, um, because I just wouldn't live without it. It would be a disaster. Well, I, well I, I, I wasn't actually expecting the answer, but great, thanks. Um, <laughs> for Christmas. Um, so, first one. First one is first. When are you most out of your comfort zone? The answer that comes into my head, you're not going to like, and it doesn't make me sound good. I would say almost never, because I've pushed so hard to push myself out of my comfort zone. I'm kind of struggling. So I'm scared of heights. If you put me on heights, you'll definitely see me well out of my comfort zone. I'll put my hand up and go, absolutely. Um, I went to the top of the shard and I was literally holding onto the pillar at the top of the shard because it's almost uncomfortable. Um, da, 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 da. See, the things that would have went in the past, so public speaking is one I think most people would, would uh, point to. But um, the adrenaline rush of that is something I now love. So, you know, I'd be lying if I was outside of my comfort zone. Um, I like the pressure of new things. I like change. Actually, there's the answer. I'm most out of my comfort zone when things stop moving forward. So when things are static, when they feel like the business has stopped growing for some reason, or I've stopped growing, I start getting very frustrated very quickly. So that, yeah, that, that would be the honest answer. Sorry, long answer for a short question. That's me too. Right. Next one. What three words would you use to describe yourself? Resilience, uh, determined, positive. Love that. You had a superpower. What superpower would it be? Immortality. Why? Because then I might just get a chance to do everything that I want to do. Oh, I love that one. Absolutely love that one. I'm stealing it, by the way. Um, (laughs) You're going to love this one. Why should anyone work with IAC? It's supposed to be a short answer. So <laughs> why should anyone work with IAC? We'll give you 30 seconds on the clock. <laughs> it all comes down to the values point you made. And, and the problem with that is, is that a lot of people have ruined that point because every company you talk to sticks them on the wall. The problem is we actually mean it. And I always remember this example where almost everyone who's ever joined us about a month to six weeks after they've joined us, they'll say, 
you actually meant it. Yes, we did. <laughs> We're not lying. Absolutely true. All those behaviors we said we live by, we absolutely, completely, 100% mean everything that we say. Um, and when we say we do the right thing for the right reasons and we do the decent thing, we actually do. When we say we do the charity work, we actually do. Um, you know, you, as Jules said, he, you know, he makes it sound like we're goody two shoes, but we are, you know, we're decent people who want to do the right thing and want to feel like we're doing a good thing at the end of the day. And I think that genuinely makes us different because all of the behaviors and actions that stem from it make us exceptional at our job, create a culture where everyone does the right thing, works really hard and works for each other. Um, and everyone genuinely cares for each other. You know, I've, teamwork is one of our values and I've said uh, very clearly to people, fundamentally that comes down to on a day-to-day -day basis, when you're just sat there doing your job, do you actually care whether the person next to you is having a good day or a bad day? And will you reach out to them and be there to support them if, if it's a bad one? And if you can say yes to that, then that's one of the reasons why you'd be a great fit for IAC. Yeah, spot on. And, and a lot of our, a lot of this podcast is to dispel the myth of recruitment. Um, and so again, a little bit off Peter, sorry, Sheen. Um, just, you know, knowing that that is the premise of this podcast, yeah. is there anything that you want to comment on, on that point? Is this where you're opening up that area that you know I'm frustrated about? <laughs> no, that's going to come in a minute. But, um, okay. is there anything um, yeah. What, what do you want to start? Well, again, there's a, there's a short answer to that. So, um, the line I always use, because people often ask me when I'm at networking events or meeting new people, um, because of who I am and because of people's, um, assumptions about recruiters, they're sometimes surprised uh, and they say, well, okay. So why, um, you know, why, why, why is I see any difference? And I, and the question I always come back with is, well, what do you think when I say the word recruiter? Nine times out of 10, there's a little smile that comes over their lips, but they don't want to say the words that have come into their heads because it might be insulting. And I chuckle and I say, that's what we're not. And that is the fundamental basis of what IAC is built on. We are not what comes into most people's head when you say recruiter. It's as simple as that. I, I just love the transparency here and the honesty because everything you're talking about is what I have categorically heard from you for the last six and a half years that I've been working for your business. Um, you know, it, there's, there's being true. It's authentic, even to the point where I was really passionate about volunteering within work time. And you actually just said, go ahead. If it takes, you know, if, it, if you take half a day out to go and help people, that's absolutely fine. And you gave us full autonomy. Jaws was with me on that. That's a, a something that's really close to Jaws as well. Um, everything you're talking about, we, we have heard this. This is just so true. And I absolutely love one of the reasons why we work at IAC. So you put it together perfectly. Well, thanks, Sheens. And it wouldn't be the same without you guys. It's all built on your brilliance as well. So thank you. We'll get you that bowl of pasta later, don't you, Marie? <laughs> um, <laughs> We've got one of the favorite ones over that as well, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, Dave. And well, no, on, on to this point then, I guess, you know, we, we want, we want to give you the platform because I think it's really important to give any of our guests the platform to say what they want to say in regards to a topic. So one thing you want to get off your chest today, 
that's going to make you feel a bit lighter, but also that you will actually make a difference to people listening to this podcast. Well, whether it made me feel any better or not, I don't know, but I feel that I have a responsibility to say something, whether it works or not, I don't know, but one of the, my major problems with where I currently sit and what I see in society is the number of times women such as yourselves can point to examples where they are not treated in a way as they should be by men in our society. And I'm specifically pointing to, um, sexual assault's a bit strong, but clearly that exists, but elements that sort of lead up to that, you know, post, um, it was the Sarah Everard murder, was it last year or the year before? Um, I actually went around and, and spoke to, I think a lot of women that I know, and I asked them, is this how you feel? How do you feel? What have you experienced? And every single one of them said, yeah, I feel anxiety when I'm going home at night, where I'm in the dark. Almost every, almost every single one of them can point to actual examples of intimidation. And I know that includes both of you and more than one. Some of them really genuinely awful. Um, and I find that extremely distressing and what probably annoys me the most is the trivial stuff from a, from some men's perspective, which actually has a major impact. So for example, and I don't want to put words into a woman's mouth because it's an experience I haven't lived and I can't even begin to understand how that would make someone feel. So please don't feel I'm putting words into other people's mouths here, but, um, my understanding would be that if you do feel that degree of anxiety and then someone a word I won't use on this podcast, sends you a message via social media or on LinkedIn or in whatever context that is sexually unreasonable, then that's only going to add to your anxiety. So from a male's point of view, we go, oh, I was just mucking around. It was just trivial, just a bit of banter. Like, well, that's great. But if someone's already feeling anxious, that's just going to make that worse. And so we are still bringing up 50% of our society in a context which leaves them anxious and feeling unsafe. And that is going to knock their confidence and their ability to thrive. And it infuriates me that people who in some form rather described the same as I am, I would argue very strongly that men is a fairly ins the wrong word to use for these individuals, um, that they're allowed to get away with that. And we don't push back enough. And the only people I see posting about this on LinkedIn are women. And I feel as a man, I should be able to say something, but it's dangerous territory for me to go on to, because it looks like maybe I'm just trying to make myself look good. And therefore I'm reticent with what I say and when I say it. I, I, I this is obviously a topic that, you know, like you said earlier, frustrates you. I don't think it's something where you're just trying to look good. I, like you mentioned earlier, I have faced a couple of experiences myself, um, albeit professionals, you know, within, within our world. I, I think it should be addressed and. I just want to point out, actually, that it, you're not doing this to look good. This is genuinely something that actually really, really frustrates you as my leader, you know, you as my boss, you as the owner of the company. And I think we should talk about it. You know, I don't, I don't see why we shouldn't. You know, you shouldn't have to experience these things in any capacity at all. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I actually haven't thought about it in that way that you've just explained it. I've never thought of it in the way, in the sense of um, if you've already got an element of anxiety, how much that can just chip away slash add on the anxiety. Mm. Yeah, either way. Um, but and it probably explains why too many women, too many women, don't go on to achieve the things that they absolutely should achieve. And I and I've seen school. I've seen school. I've seen you know, women at school, girls, girls at school, girls at school, who I I'm just surprised that haven't haven't sort of achieved what I know they would have achieved, but they've had situations going in the way of that. And and it's it's just we, we have a we have a serious problem with male role models in our society. Um, my son is at the age of 10, already abundantly clear how world-endingly awful it would be for him if he ever did anything like that. But we've also brought him up to hopefully never even contemplate doing anything like that because he brought up with the right values and standards and expectations of, of how we exist, uh, you know, with each other on this planet that we're on. Um, but there would be dramatic consequences should he ever cross that line. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the norm, um, which is depressing. I think this is what makes a difference, though, that for me, hearing it as a female, Dave, you talking about it, you having the ability to have the platform and voice your concern, because you're right, we shouldn't have to go through this. Um, and I think that, again, as a leader, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on this podcast with me and Jaws, is because we we have categorically seen over the last many years of how differently you do think. And you actually just don't think it, you mean it. So I think you should absolutely voice. And I think more people, more males should absolutely talk about it as well. Well, it's one of the things that we all face as recruiters, isn't it? We, we do see that statistically, it is still the case that if you put 50 women in an interview and 50 men in an interview, the vast majority of those women would come out of the interview going, oh, I don't think I did very well. And the vast majority of those men would come out, oh, I smashed that. Yeah. There is, says a lot for how we're raising our children and for the messaging society of putting upon men and women, um, because that reaction from the female side uh, of the cohort means they often will undersell themselves and won't push themselves forward and will suffer for that. And there are hundreds of different examples from childhood onwards where you could say society's chipping away at it. Um, and the point I raised is, is just one of them. Um, I wish I knew how to solve that problem, but I think we do need to talk about it more. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So talking about actually frustrations and problems, you know, in, in our positions, we, we have a, a very busy personal life as well. We all have things going on. How, how do you, in your position, Jaws, you've had to do this this year as well. I'm sure you wouldn't mind me touching on that as well. How do you decompartmentalize situations, personal problems? How do you leave that at the front door before you walk in for our office? This is, by the way, our bamboozle question. Yes. Oh, that's that one. one. Come on. Give me another oh, no. one. Um, this bamboozle question. Just before we podcast and go. How do I, how do I, how do I leave person from the door? So, um, I'm not sure I do. So the way I look at life is that it's. Every, everything is all wrapped up together. I don't think it is healthy 
to necessarily try to separate everything. Um, as I've got older, I very much work hard at living in the moment and focusing on the day. And I look at the day ahead of me. I plan for the future. I wouldn't be very good at my job if I didn't have a vision and a strategy and, and where are we going. But as an individual, I focus my energies on the day ahead of me. Uh, and I'm very compartmentalizing as far as when I do things. So my personal life has times during the day, the week, the month, et cetera, where I give time to certain things, whether it be parents or my children, my wife, et cetera. Um, and those are relatively ring fenced. Um, and when I'm at work, I'm at work, but I just have processes in my mind to react and prioritize. So if something's gone wrong, I don't tend to allow that to knock me off too much. I just go, well, what's the priority today? What do I need to focus on? Well, that's just blown up over here. Actually, that's more important than that. I need to go and deal with it and I deal with it. Um, for me, it's kind of, it's kind of that simple. I just take each day as it comes. I have a plan for that day. If something else happens, then I look at, well, when does that have to be dealt with? How do I deal with it? And I move on. If something's more emotive, so my father, um, won't be here much longer. Um, as you guys know, he's, he's got terminal cancer along with, unfortunately, so many others. Um, and, and he could be gone any day. He might be in next year. Who knows? Um, that's where his disease is currently at. And that will have some emotional consequences, not huge. I mean, it's not like we're that close, fortunately, but nevertheless, there will be. Um, but, but I know that will be the case. So I will give myself some time off. I will give myself a window of time to just sort of sit in that ceiling and let it be and let it sort of resonate and filter and, and then work out, okay, that's, that's where that is. And I will now step back into my normal life. Um, and I'll just keep an eye on it. And if I need to take it out, go and do something, then that, then that's fine. So I think, and it's, I know it's a long answer, but I think by trying to deliberately put everything in a box and go, right, I'm going to ignore that potentially creates some unhealthy outcomes. I think you need to have a, have a clear plan, know when you deal with things and how you deal with them, but just keep an eye on it. And if you need to react differently to look after yourself, then that's okay. I love that. I feel like I've just learned something about you, even though I've been working with you for so long in this podcast. So we hope our listeners find value in that as well. That didn't feel like an entirely coherent answer. So I hope that made some sense if you were listening. Yeah, no, I, no, I'm quite not surprised by that answer. I'm, I'm not surprised because um, you, are, you are really good at planning. You are actually very good at planning, Pl planning for how you're going to be and planning for, which I think a lot of people aren't. They're not very good at knowing their own emotions and knowing how they might react and knowing how they might um, behave. Um, because that, yeah, me and she had this conversation before we asked the question. You know, we're, get, we're getting this a lot at the moment with, you know, and mental health being such a huge thing in, in the world of business now. And how do we as leaders, how do you, Dave, as, as a leader, and how do you take that into consideration? You're trying to run a business, but actually we are in a world of individuals, um, younger individuals, older individuals, any individual who, you know, mental health is certainly more on the radar. And, and I've, I'll be honest, I've always been one of those people um, who've probably tried to decompartmentalize so, so much um, that I'm sometimes, I'm not very empathetic, I don't think, and maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but I'm not always very empathetic when other people can't do it. So I, you know, when my out was away, I went back in the office in two or three days and I just knew that my job was to do my job. I, I take my job very, very seriously. As in like, 
for me, mm-hmm. if I'm in the office to get paid, I'm in the office and I do my job. And I can yeah. leave the office and I can break down, but actually I'm being paid by you to come in, give it my all. And I've always lived under that. I mean, mm-hmm. I always say to my, my team, 100%, if you're not feeling very well, you're not having a good day, if you're feeling low, I'd try me or ring me on that morning and go, Jules, I'm not in a good place. I'm not feeling it. I'm just not going to come in because I would rather they take that time on their own at home than to bring it into the office. Let's be honest, that does affect the rest of the team, but also it doesn't help them at all. And I think we're in this habit at the moment, and I think we actually think that COVID helped that, where people get to crack on and it is a bit with hybrid working to a certain extent you work from home and therefore and do you ever actually get the time to go hey i'm not feeling great i'm not going to come in today yes so i'm going to respond to that as with every question very honestly um well, at least be careful because that honesty won't necessarily be popular with everybody so on one side i think you two would probably both recognize that i don't hold others to the same standards that i hold myself which on occasions mean that maybe I've been a little bit too soft on people. And I think as directors, you've both called me up on that in the past. Um, <laughs> that's something that I've had to get better at that just because I hold myself to high standards doesn't mean I can't apply the same to other people on occasion. Um, so I'm like you, I just kind of get up with it. But I think it's deeper than that. I think there are, it goes back to the comfort zone thing. There are there's genuinely been a problem for many decades where we haven't dealt with mental health problems. The suicide rate is ridiculous. The levels of depression are ridiculous. We have to deal with this. I do think the pendulum has swung too far in the sense of we're still not necessarily dealing with the problem. <laughs> so the suicide rate is still really high. Why the fact we're talking about mental health all the time? So clearly we do need to deal with this problem. But the way in which we're trying to do it, I think is actually making it worse. Because words like... Um, resilience, developing, developing a, a degree of robustness and having capacity to deal with tough and challenging situations is, is almost frowned upon. And there would be some listening to this who would criticize me for saying that, but I would stress my only intent in, in making that point is that I want to reduce the suicide rate. I would like it for people to be less depressed. And some of those things are chemical imbalances that's a physiological problem that we need to catch early and deal with. A lot of those things are just because people are unhappy and they're unhappy because they don't feel comfortable in their reality. And a lot of that is, is that we're just too soft. We need to allow people to know that life can be really bloody hard sometimes and that's okay. And we just need to learn coping mechanisms that are healthy, that allow us to deal with the fact life is hard. And I think there are too many messages that say it's okay that life should always be easy and life should always be soft and you should never feel sad and no one should ever tell you that you're wrong and no one should ever tell you that you failed. Like that isn't the human existence. And by telling people that you just set them up for failure and finding life really, really difficult. So the two points are one, we need to deal with this better because there are genuine mental health problems that do need to be dealt with and addressed. Part of doing that is also helping people to build resilience and toughness and be able to deal with the challenges that life will inevitably throw at them. Yeah, this is a really, really small micro example of that. But this weekend, I went to see my beautiful godchildren 
Um, and we went to the fun fair and my goddaughter, Ella, she was playing one of the fun fair games and she didn't win the prize. Mm. And she was like, mum, mum, can I have another go? And she got upset, you know. And my, my friend, who was the mother, was brilliant. She was like, you're going to have to get used to this feeling of disappointment. You're going to get used to this feeling of being sad, being a bit angry, pulling a strop, do what you want, but we're not going back. We're not doing it again. You're going to have to get used to this feeling of disappointment. And I thought, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And so, little micro example (laughs) for for, for that macro problem. Um, Yeah. I think we're at the, I think we're at the end of our, gosh, we're just an hour. How yeah. is that happening? That's all good. Ian, she want to close us out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That, thank you, Dave, for coming on this podcast with us. We hope our listeners have found it of value just as much as we have. Even though I've known you so for so long, I've certainly found it insightful. So thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your honest views and your authenticity. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Could have talked for hours longer. Thank you so much for, for having me on and well done. So what's been a brilliant initiative. Um, the other, I'm looking forward to the other interviewees and hearing what they've got to say because they've been great episodes so far. So well done and thank you very much. Thank oh, you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks for listening to The Two Who Recruit. See you next time.